Welcome to the Telling Tales podcast, where we take a deep dive into all things fairy tale related. If you love them too, then please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can stay up to date by following me on Instagram at Telling Fairy Tales. Welcome to episode two. The theme of this tale falls into a category known as the lazy boy. It is an unfortunately labeled theme, as most often the boy in question is not actually lazy, but kind and caring, yet dim-witted, bordering on stupid. In this case, Peruanto's compassion is rewarded handsomely by forest fairies, which feeds the plot. This story was penned by a man named Giambattista Basile in Neapolitan. As I'm sure you will notice, there are elements to this story based on idioms that would be entirely amusing in their native tongue, though don't quite turn out as funny or relatable as it should. But I promise you, this does not interfere with the integrity of the story, or our ability to enjoy it. It is for this exact reason that Basile did not gain as much notoriety as Charles Perrault or the Grimm's brothers. No one could quite capture the essence of his stories, which are equally absurd, vulgar, foul, beautiful, and always entertaining. Famed fairy tale expert Jack Zipes calls Basile the most talented and innovative of all fairy tale writers in Europe through the present day. Let's find out why, shall we? This is Paruanto by Giambattista Basile. A worthy woman of Casoria called Sassarella had a son called Paruanto, who was the most disgraceful, the most stupid, and the most terrific blockhead that nature had ever produced. That is why the poor woman's heart turned darker than a dustcloth and why she cursed more than a thousand times that day when her knees had opened the door to that bird brain, who was not even worth a dog's bowels. But no matter how much the unfortunate woman might open her mouth and scream, the lazybones did not give a shit and would not do a simple damn favor for her. At last, after yelling a thousand times at his head, after a thousand outbursts of rage, and a thousand I tell you and I told you, and cries today and screams tomorrow, she persuaded him to go into the woods and fetch some logs for the fire. Now's the time, she said, to stuff our mouths. Run and fetch some wood, don't forget the way, and come back soon. I want to cook four cabbages dragged out of the ground to drag on our lives. The good-for-nothing Paruanto departed, and he left like a condemned man who walks between two priests of Father Death. He departed and walked as if he were stepping on eggs, with the gait of a sentry, counting his steps and moving very slowly and very softly, and a little at a time. Gradually, he made his way into the woods like a crow that is not going to return. Soon, he reached the middle of a meadow and came to a stream, grumbling and murmuring against the lack of discretion shown by the stones that impeded its way. There he found three boys who had made a quilt out of grass and a pillow out of flint stone. They were sleeping as if they had been slaughtered and were lying under the blazing sun that was frying them. Seeing that these boys were reduced to a fountain of water in the midst of a red-hot furnace, Peruanto took pity on them 
and cut some branches of an oak tree with his axe and built a fine bower of leaves over them. Shortly thereafter, the boys, who were sons of a fairy, woke up and perceived the courtesy and the kindness of Peruanto. Therefore, they endowed him with a magic power. Everything he desired would be granted as soon as he requested it. After this was done, Peruanto continued on his way into the woods, where he fetched such a gigantic log that it could only be moved by rope and cable. Seeing that it would be a waste of time to try to carry it on his back, he straddled it and said, Oh my, if only this log could carry me like a horse. And lo and behold, the wood began to pace like a prized Bissinian horse, and when it reached the king's palace, it twirled and pranced in an incredible way. There were some ladies standing at a window, and when they saw this marvelous steed, they called Vestola, the king's daughter, who leaned out of the window and watched the whirling and springing of this piece of wood and burst out laughing. This was unusual because she had a melancholy temperament and nobody remembered her ever laughing this way. Peruantu raised his head, and when he saw the princess making fun of him, he said, Oh, Vastola, wait and see. May you one day become pregnant by me. And having said this, he gave the log a kick with his boots, and immediately the wood galloped home. But there were so many children who ran after him, staring and screaming that if his mother had not quickly shut the door, they would have killed him with blows of lemons and broccoli. Meanwhile, Vastola's menstruation stopped, and she began having certain longings and palpitations of the heart. Soon she realized she was pregnant. She concealed her pregnancy as long as possible, but she could not keep this up because her belly had become as large as a keg. When the king became aware of this, he behaved like a mad hatter and called together his counselors. You already know that the moon of my honor has grown horns, he said. You already know that my daughter has provided me with the horns of ink to write the chronicles, or rather the debacle of my shame. You already know that she has filled her womb to fill my brow with wrinkles. Therefore, speak to me. Advise me. I am inclined to deliver her soul from her body before she delivers a bad brood. I'd like her to feel the pains of death before she feels pains of labor. I'm disposed toward uprooting her from this world before she plants her germs and seeds in it. The counselors, who had consumed more oil than wine and hence were more sober, said, Truly, she deserves a severe punishment, and the handle of a knife that cuts off her life should certainly be made from the horn she has placed on your brow. But now is not the time. If we execute her when she is pregnant, the rash culprit who has trapped you in the middle of the battle by arming himself on your left and right flanks will escape by the skin of his teeth. To teach you the politics of Tiberius, he has made you study Cornelius Tacitus. To force you to recognize a dream of infamy that predicts the truth, he has made it come from the gate of horns. Therefore, let us wait for what comes, and we shall see what is at the root of this crime. And then we can think and decide, with a pinch of salt, what we should do. This advice pleased the king, for he saw that they spoke wisely and appropriately. So he restrained himself and said, Let us wait the outcome of this affair. 
and when heaven decreed the hour of the birth arrived, and with very easy labor pains, with the first puff of Vistola's breath into the phial, with the urging of the midwife, with the first squeeze of her womb, two baby boys popped out into the lap of the midwife like two golden apples. The king was also pregnant, but with rage, and he called his counselors so he could, in turn, give vent to his feelings. Now my daughter has given birth, he said. Now's the time to strike. Now, said the wise old men, who were all for taking more time, let us wait for the boys to grow enough so we can identify the features of their father. The king, who never wrote a verse without having it corrected by his counselors, because he never wanted to scribble across lines, shrugged his shoulders, kept his patience, and waited until the boys were seven years old. Then, once again, he urged his counselors to strike at the base of the trunk and to get to the root of everything. Since you've not been able to pry the answer from your daughter, one of them said, and since you've not been able to determine who has falsified your image and altered the crown, we shall now eradicate this blemish. Therefore, we would like you to arrange a grand banquet and order all the nobles and gentlemen of this city to attend. We shall carefully watch with eyes as sharp as a hawk to see what man the children embrace most freely, spurred by nature, because he undoubtedly will be their father, and we shall immediately cart him away like a little pile of crochet. This idea pleased the king, who ordered the banquet and invited all the people of rank and importance, and after they had eaten, he had them stand in a line. Then he had the children pace by them, but they paid the men no more attention than Alexander's dog paid to the rabbits. Consequently, the king cursed and bit his lips, and he also stamped his feet out of pain because his shoes were too tight, even though he had other shoes to wear. However, the counselor said to him, Gently, your majesty, don't get upset. Tomorrow we shall hold another banquet, not for the people of rank, but for those from the lower classes. Given women's tendency always to turn to the worst, perhaps we shall find among the merchants of cutlery and the peddlers of paternosters and combs the seed of your anger that we could not find among the gentlemen of the city. The king liked this idea, and he ordered a second banquet to be prepared. And when the proclamation was announced, all the scavengers, vagabonds, poor strolling players, scoundrels, scamps, ruffians, good-for-nothings, ragamuffins, rascals, thieves, and riff-raff of the city appeared. They sat down at a long table as if they were lords and stuffed themselves. Now, Cesarilla had heard about this proclamation, and she began pushing Peruanto to attend the banquet, too. She kept at it until he eventually went to the feast. No sooner did he arrive than the two boys latched onto him and hugged and caressed him many times. When the king saw this, he plucked out his beard, for he now knew that the apple of his eye, the winning ticket of the lottery, had fallen to an ugly monstrosity who made you nauseous and want to vomit just by looking at him. Moreover, this brute had a shaggy head, owl's eyes, a parrot's beak, and a fish's puss, and he was clothed in rags and tatters so that you could see all his private parts without consulting the doctor Fioravanti. After heaving a deep sigh, 
The king said, How could that slut of a daughter of mine have taken a fancy to this sea ogre? How could she have gone off with this hairy fool? Oh, you blind, false, disgraceful girl. How could you have changed so much? Why did you become a harlot for this pig in order to transform me into a cuckold? But what are we waiting for? Why are we bothering to think about this? Let her have the punishment that she deserves. You can determine the punishment, but get her out of my sight, because I can no longer stand her. So the counselors got together and sentenced her, along with the culprit and the boys. They were to be placed into a barrel and thrown into the sea. This way, the counselors could put an end to their lives without dirtying their hands with blood. As soon as the sentence was delivered, the barrel was brought forth. All four were placed in it. But before it was sealed, some of Vestola's ladies, who were shedding a flood of tears, put inside a small cask of raisins and dried figs so that the prisoners could nourish themselves for a while. Then, after the barrel was closed, it was carried away and thrown into the sea, where it drifted at the mercy of the wind. After a while, Vastola, who wept so hard that two streams of tears flowed from her eyes, said to Peruanto, What a great disgrace to have the cradle of Bacchus as our grave. Oh, if only I knew who meddled with my body and caused me to be cast into this barrel. Alas, I've been spiked without knowing how. Tell me, tell me, you cruel thing, what spell did you use? What magic wand did you wave to cause me to be locked up in this round barrel? Tell me, tell me, what devil spurred you to slip me into this invisible tube where I have no other opening to see through than this disgraceful people? Peruantu pretended for a while not to hear, but then he eventually answered, If you want me to tell you, give me some raisins and figs. Now, in order to get him to speak, Vestola filled his mouth with one after another. As soon as he had had his throat full of raisins and figs, he told her in detail what had happened to him with the three sons of the fairy, then with the log, and finally with her at the window where she had ridiculed him and caused him to wish her pregnant. After hearing this, the poor maiden plucked up her courage and said to Peruanto, My brother, do we really want to perish in this barrel? Why don't you change this heap into a beautiful ship that could bring us out of danger into a good port? And Peruanto replied, Give me raisins and figs if you want me to say what you wish. Festola immediately filled his throat, and like a fisherwoman at carnival time, she fished the words fresh out of his mouth using the figs and raisins. And lo and behold, as soon as Peruanto said what Festola desired, the barrel was transformed into a vessel with all the rigging that was necessary for sailing the ship. There you could have seen sailors pulling the sheet, rolling shrouds, steering the helm, preparing the sails, climbing to the crow's nest, crying out, Cooper close to the wind, or to the lee side. There were also sailors sounding the trumpet, firing the cannons, and doing this and that. Now, Valstala was in the ship and swimming in a sea of delight. And since the time had come when the moon wanted to play the game of trading places with the sun, Vestola said to Peruanto, My handsome man, change the ship into a beautiful palace so that we shall be more secure. You know the old saying, praise the sea and stay ashore. And Peruanto replied, 
if you want me to say what you wish, give me some raisins and figs. And she immediately gave him all he wanted, and Peruanto swallowed them and did what she requested. All at once, the ship touched land and became a splendid palace, completely furnished, and so full of furniture and luxurious things that there was nothing left to be desired. Consequently, Vastola, who would have sold her life for three pennies before all of this, would not have changed places now with the first lady of the world, especially since she had so many gifts and servants and was treated like a queen. However, she wanted to top off her good fortune, and thus asked Peruanto to have the good grace to become handsome and cultivated so that they could enjoy each other with more pleasure. Even if the proverb says, better a dirty husband than an imperious lover, she preferred that he would change his looks to make her the happiest woman in the world. And Peruanto replied with the same refrain, give me some grapes and figs if you want me to say what you wish. And Vastola immediately remedied the situation by giving him those purgative figs that helped the constipation of Peruanto's words. And as soon as he said them, he was transformed from a flycatcher into a goldfinch, from an ogre into a narcissus, from a grotesque character into a dashing young man. When Vastola saw this, she felt ecstatic and transported to the seventh heaven. Squeezing him between her arms, she enjoyed him with great pleasure. At the very same time that this was taking place, the king, who had never recovered from that disastrous day when he had condemned his daughter, continued to brood and say, Let me alone. But his courtiers took him on a hunt in order to amuse and distract him. Losing track of time, they were surprised by nightfall. Then the king saw a lantern in a window of a splendid palace and sent a servant to seek lodging. The servant returned with the answer that not only could the king and his retinue stay for dinner, but also for the night. Thus, the king went there, and after climbing the stairs and passing through all the rooms, he did not see a living soul except for two boys who danced around him and cried, Grandpa! Grandpa! The king was stunned, amazed, and astonished and felt as if a spell had been cast over him. Then, since he was tired, he sat down at a table and watched invisible hands cover it with a tablecloth and set out all sorts of dishes so that he ate and drank truly like a king. And the two boys kept serving him without interruption. While he remained at the table, he heard the music of lutes and tambourines that penetrated him to his core. When he finished eating, a bed fully adorned with gold appeared. After his boots were taken off, he went to sleep, as did all his courtiers, who had eaten very well at one hundred other tables that had been prepared for them in the other rooms. When the morning came and the king was about to leave, he wanted to take the two boys with him. But Vastala appeared with her husband, and they threw themselves at his feet, begged his pardon, and told him about all their good fortune. The king seeing that he had gained two grandsons who were jewels, as well as a son-in-law, who was like a magical fairy, embraced them all one by one. Then he took them to the city, where he arranged a grand feast that lasted many days, and he confessed, in spite of the decisions that he had made. Man proposes, but God disposes. Thank you.
suppose anyone that likes raisins that much. I suppose if I was stuck in a barrel afloat at sea, then I would eat raisins too. But seriously, if the king didn't have counselors, then they would have all been dead long before raisins could become currency. The king, thankfully, seems incapable of making a decision without the help of his counselors, who test his patience with their suggestions of inactivity. And what an unpaternal father the king was, even saying he felt cuckolded while acting like a spurned lover over his daughter's mysterious pregnancy. This story is filled with truly unadulterated human undertones that simply don't make the cut in the Grimm's collections. From the onset, we're meant to perceive Peruanto as a fool barely able to be trusted to fetch wood, yet he does have the wherewithal to build a shelter for strangers simply because they were in need. We see him grow and transform from essentially the village idiot that children throw broccoli and lemons into a much higher, grander social plane, and finally, into a handsome, well-behaved prince. Every girl's dream, really. Except the having twins without getting laid part. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I created Telling Tales to really dive into one of my true loves of life, fairy tales. If you love them too, then please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can stay up to date by following me on Instagram, at Telling Tales. Have a magical day.